Welcome to the Truth Wars Podcast with Dr. Olin Stubbs. Olin has recently published a new book titled Bible Crawling, Finding Joy in God by Journaling Through the Psalms. You can find Olin's book on whipandstock.com. That's W-I-P-F and stock.com, as well as amazon.com. Now, here's Olin. Open up to Revelation, Revelation chapter 5. All right. Somebody excited about that, huh? Revelation chapter 5, and I'm going to read this passage, and then, like Tyler said, we're actually going to do a little bit more story time this morning. We actually have pictures this morning to go along with the story, so it's going to be very exciting. Revelation chapter 5, and let's start in verse 9. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God, from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priest to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked, and I heard around the throne, and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads of thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain, to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Now, that is where all of creation is headed. But what is it going to take practically to get there? That's what we want to talk about this morning. Let me pray. Lord, bless our time together. Fill us full of the Holy Spirit to listen well, to be attentive, to have sharp minds and soft hearts sensitive to You. Would You be making us into the men and women that You want us to be? Conform to Your image uh, with hearts like Yours that care about the lost, that care about the nations. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, The word there, nations, and it was last night in the Great Commission, disciple the nations. In the Greek, it's literally ethnos. And it's where we get our word in English, ethnicity. When we say the word nation, we tend to think more about geographic nations with borders and they're a member of NATO, right? America, Canada, Mexico, things like that. But this biblical Greek word... Ethnos, it really means more like ethnicity. It's not talking about a geographic political nation as much as it is a cultural people group. That's a term that a lot of people use today. Okay, And I, I don't think I'd ever heard that term until I came to college. But here would be the idea. Think about, uh, probably most of us are familiar with, that, You know, there were Native Americans, Indians that lived in America before all the European settlers got here. And now some of them still live on reservations and some of them are very passionate about their culture and they don't even speak English. Or if they do, it's it's, it's, it's a second language. And so imagine if you went to some reservation, probably somewhere out west, maybe in Wyoming or something, and there was a Cherokee Nation reservation and there were some older people living on that reservation they said, no, we're Cherokee Indians and they they couldn't even say it in English because they don't speak English. They, They spoke their native dialect. I mean, in one sense, they live in the geographic borders of the United States of America, but in another sense, they're like a different nation. They're a different ethnicity, right? They have a different language and culture. And that might be the simplest way. If this gets confusing at any point, just think about people that speak a different language. Because if you don't speak Cherokee, you couldn't go and lead them to Christ, right? You have to learn their language. And so that's what we want to talk about tonight, is that when the Bible talks about going to all nations... I think technically there's 193 or 195 different geographic borders, political nations on planet Earth today. But if you talk about different people groups that kind of find affinity based on their language and their culture, 17,000 different people groups 
And there's some of these islands like Papua New Guinea that will have hundreds of different people groups just on that one island. It's crazy, that one nation. Okay? So we're going to talk about more of that this morning. What does it take to reach all these people groups? Because if we say there's roughly 17,000 different people groups on planet Earth today, the best estimates are that over 7,000 of them would be considered unreached. Now again, this is not a biblical term. This is more missionaries that are trying to figure out how to spread the gospel of the nation, trying to find words to define these things. But when they talk about an unreached people group, here's what they mean. That the locals that live there, that there's not enough Christians, and they don't have enough resources to evangelize their own people. It's going to take outside missionaries. Sometimes they'll say it's less than 2% of that people group are Christians. And then they have another term they talk about, the unengaged. And they say there's about 3,000 people groups unengaged. There's there's not even any known on-site church planning network trying to get to that people. Okay, So I just want to tell a few stories this morning. The first one is about a guy named Walt. Okay, Walt grew up in Georgia. He was already a Christian. He came to uh, Samford University in the late 90s as a baby Christian. I was a couple years older than Walt. I was still a student at Samford at this point. I met Walt in the freshman dorms trying to do evangelism. He was already a Christian. I started discipling Walt. Okay, And Walt has a lot of great gifts. Tact was not one of Walt's gifts. Literally, this is, this is no exaggeration. I can remember the first time I went into his Samford freshman you know, men's dorm hall to say, hey, Walt, man, I want to start discipling you, and here's what it's going to mean. You know, I'm going to try to help you learn how to share your faith with your friends. And he's looking at me, kind of nodding his head. He looks excited. And literally while I'm still talking, he just stands up and walks out of the room. I'm like, well, I don't know what that means. Uh, is that a yes or a no? And so I get up and I follow him. And Walt just goes to the next door, knocks on the door. They open the door. And there's a couple of football players in there that were, you know, Walt's friends, kind of sweet mates. And Walt's like, hey, what's up, guys? This is Olin. He's discipling me. We're going to share our faith with you. Okay? Now, let's just be honest. That's not the most tactful way to do it, right? I kind of came in trying to back it down, make it a little more cool, like, hey, what's up? But, you know, the cat was out of the bag. And they're all like, oh, we're already Christians. You know, we know all the answers. Leave us alone. Uh, it didn't go very well. Walt came on a beach project in, in Panama City Beach, 1998, at a hotel that's no longer standing on the other end of the beach down there. And... We were on the beach one time, and we shared the gospel with a couple of people. I said, okay, Walt, next time when we're going to try to share the gospel with people, I want you to start the conversation, you know. I, would, I just want you to kind of get in the conversation, get us into the gospel conversation. I was trying to kind of lead him into it baby steps. He's like, okay. Again, he, he was a passionate guy. He was an aggressive guy. So as soon as I said that, it's like the next guy sitting on the beach. He just walks up to him and says, hey, man, anybody ever showed you the bridge diagram? Again. <laughs> Not the most tactful way to do it in the universe, right? The guy's like, what? Well, we got into a gospel conversation. Now, here's the thing. And and guys, part of the reason I'm telling this story is, number one, because I know it really well because I was a part of it. But number two, because when I was in college, yes, I was a Christian. Yes, I was growing. But there was so much in my life that was wrong. There was so much in my life that was sinful and backwards and messed up. I was talking recently to a couple of the guys that I discipled when I was still a student. And we talked about, what did we do together? We read the Bible. Okay, we did that. That's good. We shared our faith. That was good. We prayed for unreached people groups. That was good. But then, fourth, probably 50% of our time, we just played ruthless pranks on each other. I'm I'm, I'm still shocked we're still friends sometimes. 
But part of what I'm trying to say is, not to be a good disciple, you've got to play pranks on people, that even in spite of your immaturity, God can use you. He will use you. I didn't really know what I was doing. I still had so many theological questions. I was confused. But the little bit that I knew, I was trying to pour into some other guys. One of them is named Walt. Walt graduates from Sanford. He got real involved in campus outreach, did the overseas stuff, right? He graduates from Sanford. He went to seminary. He married a girl. And then they moved to Pakistan. And they moved to Pakistan, okay, to work with an unreached people group, okay, called the Sindhis. And they're a Muslim people group. 25 million. Now listen, there are Christians in Pakistan. Not many, but there are Christians in Pakistan. But the Christians there don't really reach out to this one unreached people group because most of them don't speak that language. And a lot of them are nominal Christians and they're not interested in learning another language of another people group that lives in the same country. And so missionaries were going there. And for Walt and Mercy, that's his wife's name, to go there, first they had to learn Urdu, which is like the national language of Pakistan, but then they had to learn the local dialect of this people group. Years in language school. And then they lived among them and shared the gospel. And they would, they, would, they would do anything they could to kind of gain a hearing. They would try to help them. They would install water filters and water pumps where they didn't have clean water, but trying to lead people to Christ. They only saw two or three people come to Christ in years they were there. But here's the thing. There's another people group okay, that's, that's more of a Hindu background. And they're a much poorer people group. In fact, this other people group, I think it's called the... Uh, I'm not going to be able to say it right. Look at it and make sure I get it right, okay? Um, the Pakari people... They actually work on a lot of the farms of these Sindhi peoples. They don't have as much to lose. They're not rich. They're not Muslim and more of a Muslim-dominated country. They have more of a Hindu background. They actually ended up seeing hundreds of them come to Christ while they were there. Okay? But it took years. It took service. It took work. It took learning multiple language. Now, Walt and Mercy are back. They live in Minnesota now. And, but they work with a ministry, and what this ministry does is it tries to train local American churches, how can you help reach the unreached? So one of the reasons I also wanted to tell Walt's story is sometimes when you go to a missions conference, you can get this feeling, like if I don't go live overseas for the rest of my life, like pack all my belongings in my coffin because I'm planning to die there, then I must not be a good Christian. And that's not true. Guys, listen, I've spent a handful of summers overseas, maybe two months at the most. But I don't live overseas full-time. I have no plan to live overseas full-time. I don't think that's what God called me to do. And so you can be a world Christian and never even leave your hometown if you're passionate about your prayers, about your giving, about how you invest your life here. Okay? Um... The next story I want to tell you about is about Brian and Terry Furpo, and we do have pictures here, okay? So, this is Brian, 1986. He's a fraternity guy at Montevallo. He's not a Christian. He's not walking with the Lord in his red solo cup. I do not think that's water, okay? Freshman at Montevallo. But in 1987, he makes the decision to go to Beach Project. And he says, that one decision changed my whole life. I think we have a picture of him on Beach Project. The next, Yeah. He said, go into Beach Project. One decision changed my whole life. Comes to Christ on the beach project. Okay? Keep going. Next slide. He graduates about three and a half years later. And there's some staff that say, 
We've been praying about going to Thailand. I mentioned this like last night. Bangkok, Thailand. 68 million people in Thailand. And there's an unreached people group in Thailand. I mean, almost, I think it's 95% of people in Thailand. Uh, go back to that picture one more time for a second. Sorry. This is crazy to us. Right? Have you ever heard a talk on idolatry in America? And, you know, people always say, I've said it before, it's like, we don't actually pray, you know, bow down and pray to, like, stone statues, but we idolize other things like sex or money or whatever. People in Thailand really go to temples like this, and they pray to statues of Buddha. I've seen them do it. It's insane. It's sad. 68 million people in Thailand, about 95% of them are Buddhist. There's a people group in Thailand called the Isan People Group. About 19 million people. Okay? Less than 0.01% of them are evangelical Christians. I and mean, that's hardly even worth counting. And so, Brian, he's married to Terry now. He's only been a Christian three and a half years. Can you imagine that? Just graduated. Hey, you want to raise some money and move to Thailand for the rest of your life? Okay, because in their discipleship group at Montevallo, one of the things they did is they prayed for the lost. They prayed for unreached people groups around the world. And God started to burden their heart. So they graduate. I think the next... Here, here they are at the airport, packing up all their stuff to move to Bangkok. That's where they started. They go to Bangkok. They got there the first two years, language school. Can you imagine that? You're passionate for evangelism. You get there. What do you do the first two years? You just have to learn the language. This is the long-haul commitment, guys. But they did it. And then they decided to move to another city called Konkan. Okay? They planted a church there. This was in 1998, I think. This is the same time Walt was on his first beach project down here. They're over there planting a church. Uh, you see in the top corner there, that old man Frank Barker, I was talking about him last night. He's the guy that really started Campus Outreach that started Briarwood Church in Birmingham. He goes over to Thailand to help them start a church. No churches in Konkan, Thailand to partner with. They had to plant one. 1998. But here's the beautiful thing. 25 years later, the church, over 130 people, Buddhist converts. No Americans are left working in that church. All the pastors, all the elders, all the deacons, all the campus outreach staff in Konkan now are Thais. All these former Buddhists praying to statues who've been converted to the Lord Jesus Christ. And now they're able to send out teams to other campuses, other cities. And they'll have a, maybe a couple of the Americans and a couple of the Thai converts go to different cities. I think they're in three different cities, four different campuses now, continuing to spread the gospel among the Isan people group. Now, two stories to end this one. Okay, About 15 years ago in Thailand... There was a young woman who came to Christ through the college ministry. She was dating a guy who lived in a beach city somewhere south of Bangkok. He heard about it. He thought she's involved in a cult. He was not happy. He came to visit her and like the missionaries had him over to their house. They're trying to love on him. But he's so angry he won't even drink the water in their house, literally, because he thought they might try to brainwash me. I mean, that's how anti-Christian he was. He literally thought about burning the church down. That's how angry he was. Today he's a Christian. He works for the church. He preaches sometimes. Where did all this start? 
It started with some non-Christian fraternity guys that went to a beach project and they got saved. They got married. Same kind of things were happening with their wives. They graduated. They raised the money. They went. They learned the language. They gave their life away. Brian and Terry Furpo, they still live in Thailand. They're still doing it. I'll let Brian have the last word on this story. This is his quote, all right? God did it all through a bunch of young, dumb Americans who had no idea what they were doing in 1990. I had only been a Christian for three and a half years to now. Three cities in Thailand on four campuses and one of the largest unreached people groups in the world. Don't despise the day of small beginning. What might God be calling you to do with your life? Whether it's in Pakistan or Thailand or in Minnesota, who knows? One more story going even further back. There's a group called the Moravians. I'm going to be very brief here. But they were a group of Protestants living in what's now the Czech Republic. They were being persecuted. So they went to Germany. They kind of settled there. But they were very missionally minded. They started a prayer group for the world that literally lasted 100 years. There was always at least one person in the chapel praying continuously for 100 years. And they were sending out missionaries all over the place. And they were very radical. There were some missionaries in South Africa that realized there was a leper colony. And they had it all fenced off. You know, leprosy was bad. People were scared of it. People were losing their limbs. But the people said, we are willing to move into the leper colony to share the gospel with these people. And they did. And here's maybe the most famous and almost unbelievable stories. There was an island in the West Indies that they heard had a bunch of slaves working in the fields. And they wanted to go there, be missionaries, share the gospel. But the master, the owner, said, no way. I don't want any missionaries talking to my slaves. And they said, we'll sell ourselves into slavery then. Will you buy us and let us go? And at first people were like, no way. You know, back then it's like, white people don't do that kind of slave work. No, they wouldn't let them. But they protested like, no, no, we have skills. Like one of them was a carpenter. We are willing to sell ourselves into slavery to go there to share the gospel. To work there for the rest of our life to share the gospel. They finally found a way to go. And they saw a lot of fruit. Saw a lot of people come to Christ. Guys, the need is still great. I was talking to a staff guy that still ministers there in Concan, and here's one of the things he said. Every year they have a freshman orientation at Concan University. 8,000 students, typically, in the freshman orientation. I mean, imagine something like this at your campus, right? And they have a special meeting, special orientation for anybody even claiming to be a Christian out of 8,000 students. And they said at most... At most, 35 students will show up. That's less than half a percent, guys. The harvest is plentiful. The laborers are few. What is God calling you to do? How is God calling you to leverage your life for the sake of the nations, for the sake of His glory? Back to Revelation chapter 5 again. And they sang a new song saying, they're singing to Jesus, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God 
from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. And I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. The greatest missionary, we're going way back now, the greatest missionary of all time, his story happened about 2,000 years ago. He left his father's throne above to come to earth to suffer, to bleed for Adam's helpless race. And He's worthy of our lives to say, whatever you want, Lord Jesus, how can I use my life to honor You, to serve You for the sake of the nations? The two guys that sold themselves into slavery to go to the West Indies to share the Gospel, as they get on the boat, and the boat's pulling out of the dock, friends, family, loved ones on the dock, probably never see the guys again. One of the guys yelled out, that the Lamb who was slain would receive the reward of His suffering. That's what it's all about, guys. Lord Jesus, You are so worthy. You are so full of worth. And we are so unworthy. We're unworthy to know You. We're unworthy to be able to say Your name. We're unworthy to be able to speak of You, to preach of You, to be saved, to be forgiven, to be involved in Your great work. It is such a gigantic high privilege. I pray for my own heart and I pray for the heart of everybody hearing Lord Jesus that we would be more overwhelmed with the privilege it is to serve You than the burden of the hardship that it sometimes is. Please, Holy Spirit, draw near. Please speak to us each in a personal way and make it clear how we can each individually leverage our life for Your glory and for the sake of the nations. We pray all this only in the name of Christ, the Lamb who is slain. Amen. Thanks for listening to this episode of Truth Wars with Dr. Olin Stubbs. We want to remind you to please leave a review for this podcast wherever you listen and to share this podcast with any friends or family that you think may be blessed by Olin's teaching.